Welcome into 444.com's Most Accurate Podcast, sponsored by Draft. I'm your host, Greg Smith. Download the Draft app or go to draft.com and use our promo code 444, just like it's spelled in the website address, the number 4, F-O-R, then the number 4, and you'll get free entry into one of Draft's best ball contests when you make your first deposit. You can listen to all the music I use for this show in full on the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. The song on this episode is Courtney Barnett's Charity from her 2018 record, Tell Me How You Really Feel. Speaking of charity, I'm going to continue talking about the Scott Fishbowl on this podcast, which Scott Fish uses to raise thousands of charity dollars each year through Fantasy Cares. I'll be breaking down my complete SFB draft with this week's guest, Pat Fitzmorris. Check out his podcast, Fits on Fantasy, plus all of his other great work over at thefootballgirl.com. And be sure to follow him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. While you're at it, please follow at 444Football and get your 444 subscription locked in for the 2019 fantasy football season. You'll want to score your sub before August 2nd, though, because that gets you entered into our contest to win free entry into the FFPC main event with airfare to Las Vegas and lodging at Planet Hollywood included. Even if you miss out on that top prize, you can still win one of eight signed NFL jerseys and a bunch of other great swag. But because I know Scott Fishbowl isn't necessarily everyone's cup of tea, not all of you listeners are going to be interested in that format. I'm going to spend the beginning of the episode, the bulk of the episode, speaking with Pat about his recent rankings update over the thefootballgirl.com, specifically looking at players where his evaluation differs pretty drastically from ADP. And one last thing before I bring Pat in, programming note about the upcoming episodes. Uh, this episode is being recorded ahead of time, so forgive us if, if any news comes out uh, between the recording and when it's released next week. Uh, but I'm moving. I'm making a cross-country trip uh, from the Bay Area in California out to uh, the Pocono Mountain area of Pennsylvania. Uh, my wife and I are moving out there, uh, and we got a bit of a trek ahead of us. Uh, we're going to be slowly meandering through the United States uh, with our dog, making a lot of stops. So uh, that's why we're recording this one early. And then the following week, there will not be a TMAP episode from me. Uh, I'm not sure if John Paulson and Anthony Stalter will do one on their side of the feed, but um, just know that I will not be recording one then. Uh, but anyway... Pat, thank you for agreeing to do this a little ahead of time. I Hopefully our, our takes don't get stale. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Oh, Greg, great to be on with you. Uh, one of my favorite guys in the biz. Always nice to talk to you. And uh, I'm fascinated by this move because uh, not only, you know, the uh, logistics of a coast-to-coast move, but I think what I'm most fascinated about, someone who's been on the West Coast all their life, Going to the East Coast, the circadian rhythms of your football Sundays are going to be so messed up this year. I just, are, are you prepared for this? Are you prepared to, uh, I guess you get to sleep in, but you're going to have to really wait. You might be chomping at the bit by like noon on Sunday with an hour still to go before kickoff. And uh, you might have trouble keeping your eyes open for the second half of that Sunday night game. Yeah, I can't really wait to see how it all plays out because I am a bit of a night owl and that idea of sleeping in every Sunday without having to, you know, get up at 7 a.m., 8 a.m. to kind of prep all the, you know, the fantasy stuff that we do before game time. I'm looking forward to having that extra time in the morning, but I I think you might be right about maybe the wait will become too long at that point. Like if I can't sleep in until, I don't know, what is it, like 10 or 11 a.m.? Uh, am I just going to be dying waiting for kickoff? It's possible. <laughs> it se- seems seems like that might happen, you know? Well, if you're a night owl, it might agree with you a little more than if you were a morning person, in yes. which case I think that would be uh, pretty traumatic of an adjustment. But where do, you, where do you fall on that spectrum for night owl versus morning person? 
Yeah, I've definitely transitioned to morning person uh, with two kids and, uh, you know, a long commute to work every day. So by necessity, I've become more of a morning person. And uh, but the shift like that, that just seems it's something I couldn't even fathom because I have lived in the Midwest, the central time zone all my life. And my God, my routine is so established. Like if football doesn't start at noon on Sunday, you know, if it started at any other time, I think I would be so thrown that uh, I would just be, you know, completely out of whack. But um, well, I wish you luck with the move. I, I know any move is a traumatic experience, especially one cross country. So uh, I hope it goes smoothly for you. Yeah, you and me both. And we'll, we'll <laughs> see how it goes. I'll probably provide some updates from the road on Twitter, take some photos and uh, probably complain here and there because that's that's what you do uh, when you're moving. Uh, but enough about that. Let's get into fantasy football, Pat. And you just updated your rankings over at thefootballgirl.com. And I want to dive in with you because not only were you the 20th most accurate ranker in 2018, according to Fantasy Pros, for draft rankings, you were the 13th most accurate in-season ranker, you know, week-to-week the point is that you're good at this, Pat, and I really want to pick your brain about this. Um, you're particularly honed in on the running back position, fifth in draft accuracy, first in season. Uh, so before we kind of dive into the players and where you have them relative to ADP, I just want to know what do you think made you so much better than the field at quantifying or qualifying running back values last season? That's a good question, and I don't know if I can – answer it very well uh for the in-season part i think really the only guess i have is that um over the years i think i've become much less matchup based especially with running backs and more um just more of a slave to volume and roles and um you know i I certainly do take matchups and defenses into account but um you know i want that volume and like to me, that just means so much more than a matchup, which, um, you know, as we saw the, the sore thumb example to me is Derek Henry, who, uh, you know, at that point in early December was averaging less than 40 rushing yards a game going up against a Jacksonville defense, you know, that seemingly one of the best in the league. But, um, well, that Thursday night game, we know how that went 200 plus yards and, However, many touchdowns later, certainly the volume helped Derrick Henry there. But um, yeah, so I, I think matchups can be a little deceiving sometime and volume has to be king. And then uh, as far as in season or I'm sorry, draft accuracy, um, it's funny when you asked this question or, or said we were going to be talking about this, I went back and looked at how I had some of these rankings. And I think a big part of it was that you had to sort of pick how you wanted to play the Le'Veon Bell, James Conner thing at the point where fantasy pros locks their preseason rankings. And, you know, whether you thought, okay, this is going to get settled in the next few days or whether it's going to drag on. And I kind of decided to play the drag on card. And I think that kind of gave me a a big leg up. Anyone who figured Le'Veon was – you know, his return was imminent. I think they got hurt in the draft rankings at running back. And um, I don't know. I, I guess I had Saquon and McCaffrey and Melvin Gordon and a couple key guys a, a few ticks higher 
then expert consensus, uh, Matt Breda, um, you know, I faded LaShawn McCoy a little bit, uh, but you know, I also got some things pretty wrong at running back. I, for some reason was buying into Alfred Morris having value. I mean, granted these were standard league rankings that fantasy pros was basing it off on, Mm -hmm. basing things on last year. And they've since switched to half point PPR as their, uh, default, scoring system the one they're going to be measuring so i had i had plenty of weird picks uh marshawn lynch i think i was way higher than consensus on morris some other oddball picks but um i mean that stuff happens i mean we're going to be wrong a lot when we do this and it is a matter of when you come you know fifth in draft accuracy i think it has to do with the fact that you were more right than wrong and that's all you can really hope for, right? Because, you know, the mistakes come. That's why the waiver wire exists, or that's why, you know, our best ball drafts are 20 rounds or 22 rounds long. We, you know, get to make those extra picks to hopefully cover up our mistakes, right? And Absolutely. I don't know, I, I, I think you did a really, it's, it's really impressive, you know, that sort of resume you're putting together over there in terms of these accuracy rankings. I, I've been involved in these contests myself, and I can tell you that it's I can tell the listeners that it is not easy I've had some decent finishes some good finishes and some horrible finishes so uh yeah there's a lot that goes into it don't undersell yourself Pat um but I I kind of forgot that Fantasy Pros is moving over to that half point PPR scoring and and I think that's overdue I think most people play PPR or enough people play PPR that they should be trying to split the difference between standard and PPR and half point is the perfect way to do that do you think that's going to make it more challenging, less challenging, or just different when it comes to ranking players and maybe not just running backs, but any players in 2019? I think different. I mean, I've almost been conditioned to think of the rankings in terms of standard and, um, you know, a couple of my home leagues, it's, it's very easy for me to think that way because the way we score those leagues, they score more as standard leagues. We don't have, um, we don't have, any sort of PPR thing in, in two of my favorite home leagues. And what we do, I, I think part of the reason people like PPR is not so much they want to reward the action of a catch, it's that they want to dilute touchdown variance, yep. and which, which is understandable. I get it because, you know, touchdowns uh, are less predictable and more sort of lucky than, than yardage. And I can understand why people want to try to predict things that can be um, – predicted more easily like yardage and catches and that sort of thing but in in these leagues we've actually taken kind of a weird route and we've just devalued touchdowns a little bit we uh four points for touchdowns and and two for td passes which um you know i I know some will be repulsed by that because you know six for a touchdown is just sort of the unit of currency it's like trying to say that the dollar isn't going to be the unit of American <laughs> currency anymore. It's just going to be a shock to the system to some people, but it's worked really well All for in us. on Bitcoin, baby. <laughs> so uh, anyway, standard was just a real easy default for me because I would always sort of think about how I would rank things in that particular, those two leagues. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it is going to be a bit of an adjustment, even though I do play in some half-point PPR. But yeah, I, PPR is so prevalent and half-PPR is such a compromise i guess between the ppr and standard camp so uh it it probably is a good thing that they made the switch it's it's more makes the default rankings more relevant to more people yeah i think i think that's right and that's that's why i'm looking forward to it now when you look back at 2018 what's another lesson or 
you know, area you want to improve? What is your approach to making an already pretty good process better when it comes to these rankings? Uh, for the preseason rankings, I really want to be sure I've got a handle on which are going to be the be- better offenses and mm-hmm. the you know less functional offenses. I mean, it's always been a factor. Obviously, you want good players and good offenses, but um, I know last year kind of opened my eyes about uh, how really good offense can support you know multiple players pretty well and. and um, I mean, this is more about team building than ranking, but like, uh, you know, I stacked more in regular season long leagues last year, I think, than I ever had before. And it actually worked pretty well because, you know, I was doing it with some pretty good teams like the Rams and Saints. So um, but yeah, uh, like that's pretty key, I think, trying to uh, figure out for sure. And, you know, we think we know, but. I think there are other teams where it's uh, a little ambiguous. I mean, everyone's excited about the Cardinals, but you know, we we definitely need to see this in practice. I think in the preseason to make sure, um, you know, this offense functions as well as we think it might. So yeah, that's about it. And and just staying on top of depth charts and um, you know, it's just sort of processing information and figuring out what's coach speak and what's actionable. Um, I think over time, Greg, it almost gets to be like a little bit of an instinct thing. And, you know, sometimes the instincts fall completely flat. But um, I don't know. The more you're exposed to it and, you know, I've I've been playing in these leagues since the early 90s. Like, I I think the more you start to uh, your filter gets better over time, I think. Yeah, I really like what you said about trying to identify those best offenses, because if you can do that, if you can pinpoint the three three of the five best offenses and just skew your teams or your rankings towards those teams' players. I think that goes a long way, not only because, I mean, for the obvious reasons, but that, that you're getting these players that are on good teams that are scoring a lot of points, but it's also just kind of indicative of the nature of football these days and kind of the level of sophistication in terms of offense where we're not seeing quite as many narrow fantasy depth charts from NFL teams. Like, we don't have too many teams that only have one good wide receiver and, you know, one bell cow running back. A a lot of this is getting splintered and fractured into, you know, this is a guy who's going to have three good games and that's it. And then on his same team, there will be two other players like that at his same position. Um, That diversification of the wide receiver position and the running back position, I think, has really pushed us to a point where if more and more NFL teams are doing that, in fantasy, we just want to make sure that we're exposed to those offenses. So when those players do go off, it's a benefit to us. And then you kind of fill in the gaps with those players on worse teams that figure just to be in good volume situations, right? Like your, your Kenny Galladay's or I don't know. Can you think of another example of a player like that where you're not super excited about the offense, but you think just the volume is going to be there regardless? Yeah, the the skinny use of the tree. Uh, Galladay is a really good example. Uh, boy, let me think of... Um another one offhand um sorry putting you on the spot here (laughs) no 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 that's okay i mean leonard fournette obviously like i've got major reservations about him with uh some of the foot issues and like the um acrimony between him and uh tom coughlin at the end of last season but you know obviously i mean things are just so well set up for him to be this major workhorse in uh you know on a team that wants to win by playing defense and and 
you know, running the ball and, and not opening up the offense to a, a huge degree. So he's a pretty good example. But yeah, what you say about, um, you know, maybe not just the caliber of the offense, but also knowing whether the usage tree is going to be skinny or have a lot of branches, you know, like um, the Lions, Galladay. It, like we know there are only so many targets. You look at those wide receivers, it, it doesn't really go too deep beyond Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola. That's about it. And easier to predict volume there than, you know, with a team like, my goodness, I mean, we just saw the Eagles sign Darren Sproles. So like that backfield <laughs> is a complete mess. Uh, the, the Jacksonville wide receivers where any of like five guys could lead the team in receptions. It's It's just... Yeah, you want the more predictable situations, and hopefully preseason is the time we'll be able to get a handle on which situations are predictable and which are less predictable. Yeah, for sure. Now let's dig into some of these rankings discrepancies that you have with ADP, and I want to start at the running back position because, as you said before, that is you know the place where you had the most success in 2018, and so I just want to put the jinx on you right away, make you talk about the position, <laughs> and we're going to start off with a couple guys on the bills that you're lower on then ADP. Devin Singletary, 14 spots lower, and LaShawn McCoy, seven spots lower. I assume this is more about the team, you know, the Buffalo Bills, than it is about the specific players, or am I wrong? Uh, it is mostly. This is kind of what we talked about. TJ Yeldon is also there. Frank Gore is also there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's this four-way backfield on a team with a quarterback that likes to tuck it and run it quite a bit. Um yeah, real, and also a team that, you know, frankly, is not going to be one of the real high-scoring, prolific offenses in the league. So I just think it's real hard to peg this backfield. It's not one I'm anxious to buy into. Singletary's kind of a polarizing prospect. Some people really like him. Like, I know Josh Norris of Roto World is a big fan. Other people are sort of mixed and, and you know, question the athleticism and um other elements of his scouting profile. And, you know, some people are ready to walk away from LaShawn McCoy. I don't know if that's, I don't know if he's totally done or not, or if he just did not mesh with the sort of uh, offense the Bills were running with Josh Allen last year. So, yeah, I'm just kind of doing a gentle fade of both guys. Like, I, I can't read this backfield. I'm probably going to tinker with the rankings once we kind of see how these guys are being deployed a little bit in the preseason. But right now it's just sort of messy and I'm erring on the side of caution. Now, how about Chase Edmonds? Because you have him a lot higher than his ADP, about 32 spots higher. And I, I, I think we should, I should probably put the disclaimer on this, that when you're talking about a lower ranked player like Chase Edmonds, it's a lot easier for that sort of player to rank a lot more highly than ADP because you know, if you if you like a guy like that, it's really easy to bump him ahead of the other handcuff running backs, right? Uh, but I'm curious if this is perhaps an indication of you fading David Johnson, or do you really believe that Chase Edmonds has standalone value? I think standalone value. If the Cardinals' offense is as as fast paced and um, as improved as we think it might be, there may be some standalone value there. And you know, we're still talking about only. Um, I'm not sure where I have him ranked, like 40th or something like that. Uh, so not talking about a guy you're counting on for standalone value, but a guy who, you know, has a, a clear path to big time value if anything happens to David Johnson. 
And, um, you know, just a guy who had a really nice prospect profile, looked pretty good whenever he got action last year. And, um, you know, he's going to get used. Like, they're going to need to spell David Johnson in this offense. And if if things work out better, if, if they're throwing to the backs as much as we think they might, um, just a potentially enticing situation and, and then just that lottery ticket potential if there's a Johnson injury. All right, now I want to talk about the backup running back in Kansas City, Carlos Hyde, who you have 12 spots lower than ADP. Does this mean that you do believe in Damian Williams as a potential workhorse back? Because if so, that means you're probably going to be able to get him at a discount in drafts. Or is this just more about you not really liking Carlos Hyde? It it sort of is about me really liking Damian Williams. And it just seems like, and I know I don't want to be a slave to coach speak, but it seems like everything you hear is that they have him, you know, written down in pen as their guy that he is going to be the main guy that you know it's it's nice that they have a banger like Hyde around but I don't know that Hyde is seen as like a potential bell cow by anyone anymore I I think maybe that you know window is is shut for him and um you know maybe I should like Hyde more even if it's just as like a potential goal line option in a really prolific offense um and I, I may wind up moving him up a little bit, depending on the sort of usage we get hints of, uh, like in the second, third weeks of the preseason. But I do like Williams. I'm not going to say it's without any reservations. You know, a guy who was an undrafted free agent and then basically didn't pop for four or five years. And, and we know part of it was injury related, but, um, some you know, of it was that, dolphins related. That, that, that's right. And I'm gay related, but, uh, it is kind of unprecedented for a guy to be an undrafted free agent, not percolate early in his career. And then all of a sudden come out of nowhere and be this, you know, prolific RB one type. So, um, I'm not going to say I don't have, uh, a little bit of nervousness about Damian Williams, but you know, right now I've got him, I think either RB 13 or RB 12. So I'm, I'm pretty much pushing in the chips for the most part. You know, I, I do believe, and I think Hyde's just going to be sort of a, a peripheral support guy. Another Damian you're high on is Damian Harris of the Patriots. Um, this is his first year in the NFL and another rookie running back, Justice Hill, on the Ravens, you have both of those rookies nine spots ahead of ADP. And I'm with you on both those guys. I think they're both pretty exciting players. They seem to be lining up for good situations because we know the Patriots and the Ravens both like to run the ball when they can. I'm curious, are you drafting any of the other running backs from those crowded backfields in Baltimore and New England? Yeah, you know, I still, I believe in Sony Michelle's talent. His yeah. knee is clearly an issue and I can give you a concrete example of, of how I feel about them later when we talk about our Scott fishball teams. But, um, <laughs> I do like Sony, you know, I, I do think Damian Harris is going to be called upon to maybe lighten Sony's load a bit. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we saw last year with Sony that unlike Seattle who took Rashad Penny and sort of, uh, brought him along slowly and were willing to have him just back up Chris Carson, the Patriots spent first round draft capital on Sony and boy, they really used him down the stretch. And, uh, you know, he was just a monster 
late for them. And, um, you know, I think it was sort of eye opening that the Patriots spent a fairly early pick on Damian Harris. And I think they intend to use him. I, I think, um, he's going to get some run in this offense. And if Sony's knee does become a problem, he could be really valuable. Yep, I like that. And I've got more to say about Justice Hill, but we'll save that for uh, the Scott Fishbowl segment as well. Uh, last running back I want to ask you about is Philip Lindsay, who you're a little down on, five spots lower than ADP. Are you not buying into the the coach speak or the QB speak from Joe Flacco? Uh, i got to admit I'm pretty wishy-washy on this Denver running back situation. This is one I'm going to want to see play out. I do think they're going to amp up Royce's role a little bit. It's going to be sort of a... I think a free more of a 50-50 or close to it split between Freeman and Lindsay, you know, and it's just with the body type Lindsay has, um, I don't know how realistic it is for him to get, you know, a 60-40 or 65-35 majority in that running game. So I'm betting things even out a little between those two. I'm not sure that's the right answer, and, you know, I, I might – tweak that as things go on in the preseason but that's it's a situation to watch because i i can't say i have a great handle on it right now yeah that's another situation where the team just might not be very good and those are not backfields that i tend to invest in so i'm a little bit lower on Lindsay and freeman for that reason now when i'm evaluating those types of backfields i tend to just skew towards the player who is easier to acquire so if i am going to end up with one of those denver running backs it's probably more likely to be freeman just because he's cheaper are you in in the same boat there kind of greg but the funny thing is like Lindsay is a little cheaper than i thought he was going to thought he was going to be really overvalued this year and people aren't really loving him quite as much as i thought they would so it depends. I'm like I'm not totally out on Lindsay, and I I thought he would be grossly overpriced this year, and I'm I'm kind of surprised about how savvy the market has been with him. Yeah, it is pretty fascinating that he isn't commanding too high of a price, but Damian Williams is you know a, a second or third rounder depending upon your format, and yes, maybe maybe we're blind to you know the the risk on Damian Williams, but I, I'm with you on him. I think that you know based upon what he showed, based upon everything we're hearing from the Chiefs. It seems like they're ready for him to be the bell cow back there, and I'm I'm excited about that. Um, but anyway, let's move on to wide receivers. I want to start with Emmanuel Sanders, who you were a lot lower than ADP on, but you've moved. You told me before we started recording that you've moved him up a little bit. So talk about where you're at on Sanders now, and uh, where you think you're ultimately going to land on him relative to ADP. Boy, uh, you mentioned you know wanting to stay away from Denver, and I think I'm kind of the same way. <laughs> like I've. I wanted to like Cortland Sutton last year, and it was less about the performance than, uh, you know, now they've got this sort of messy situation with Sanders, Sutton, and possibly Deshaun Hamilton. Um, with the news that Sanders is not going to be on PUP, which is uh, sort of an upset, I, I think, um, you know, it just really sort of shakes any confidence I might have had in Sutton and Hamilton, which... You know, they weren't really targets of mine to begin with. So, but now I don't know if I have any Broncos in the top 40 after the adjustments I made today. I think I've Sutton just out of the top 40, you know, Hamilton down in the late 50s, maybe Sanders in the 60s somewhere. I just, I kind of want to stay away from this situation. You know, Sanders coming off this injury and, um, you know, being pretty close to the age cliff, 
not really an investment I want to make, um, you know, tied to a, a mediocre quarterback in Joe Flacco and possibly, you know, Drew Locke, a pretty, pretty unpolished rookie who might get time later this year. Like the, the receivers for the Broncos are not real enticing this year. Yeah, I want to keep going on wide receivers with you, but I just realized we bounced from Lindsey to Sanders, and I know I want to talk to you about Noah Fant at the tight end section, so let's just <laughs> sure. let's just skip ahead to him and get all this Broncos hate out of the way up front. Why are you lower than consensus on Fant? Is it just for all the reasons we've laid out here? Yeah, so I know a lot of people don't trust the uh, fantasy analysts who give the you know uh, tape-grinding takes, but this is purely a tape-grinding take for me, mostly, just because I'm... Uh, you know, up here in the Midwest and as a Wisconsin grad, I'm kind of a Big Ten honk. And I have seen a lot of Iowa games. And um, I think Hawkinson is phenomenal. And I think Fant was overdrafted. Like, I think Hawkinson is three times the player Fant is. And I know Fant is athletically really good. Fant put on the better combine performance. But, um, you know, I... I think he is a wasted draft pick this year. I don't think he's going to click at all. Even though Flacco, uh, you're going to get the Flacco loves his tight ends narratives, but uh, it wouldn't be surprising to me if he loved uh, Jake Butt or Jeff Heuerman or uh, even Troy Fumagalli more than he loved Fant this year. So not a pick I want to make at all. I, I, you know, I'm interested in Hawkinson, but I'm not interested in Fant. Yeah, I mean, you know what other tight end blew up the combine? The rear prior was Mike Gusecki, and how did that work out for the Dolphins? Exactly. Honestly, I'd I'd rather draft Gusecki this season because he's had that one year in the NFL to hopefully polish up his game a little bit. And yeah, I'm I'm with you on Fanta, and I'm with you on fading the Broncos offense. But let's get back to wide receivers. Uh, I want to talk about Albert Wilson next, and you are much higher than ADP here, uh, 30 spots higher on Burt. Tell me why that is. Um, just, he looked really good last year before he went down. And I think people were sort of intrigued by him as a, uh, potential breakout guy when he was coming over from Kansas city. And I think he showed signs of being a breakout guy. So, you know, again, with, this is a case where I'm much higher by ADP and I've still got him like in the, you know, wide receiver four or five range. So, um, I, I like him a lot though, as a late round option and, we know Miami's going to probably have some pretty pass-friendly game scripts, and uh, if it's largely Ryan Fitzpatrick, we know what an aggressive thrower he is. So um, there's going to be a little bit of value maybe with the low ADPs with some of these Miami receivers. I'm not inclined to buy any Devontae Parker hype. So uh, you know, if I had to put my money on one of the Miami receivers to lead in receptions, I think I'd probably put it on Wilson. Yeah, the Devontae Parker stuff, that's just a boy who cried wolf situation. We just can't (laughs) believe anything we hear about that guy anymore. Um, But I agree that if you can figure out who the value is in this Dolphins passing attack, that could really pay off for you because they're all so affordable. I think you can make a similar case for uh, the Jaguars, who you mentioned earlier, not really wanting to deal with that. But I think if you can find the one receiver in that group who pops, it's going to work out. We know that Nick Foles isn't as mobile as Blake Bortles. He's not going to be running the ball as much, which hopefully means that he's passing more. Uh, The other team that kind of fits that bill in 
Alex Gelhar brought this up on the last episode uh, that I did were the Washington Redskins, uh, just as you know, a team whose defense isn't very good, whose running backs are all a little suspect. You know, between the aging Adrian Peterson and the injured Darius Geis, they might just have to throw a lot. And if you know Paul Richardson hits, or if Josh Doxson hits, or if Trey Quinn hits, or if Terry McLaurin hits, like there, I think there's value in these you know underrated or or bad passing attacks, just because one of the players might get enough volume to be relevant. We talked at the top of the show just how important volume is, but uh, let's keep going. Josh Gordon, you're 17 spots lower than ADP. Why is that? Just skeptical that he's going to play. We're never going to get the, what, 2013 Josh Gordon back. And just by my eyes, he looked a little slower last year, like he couldn't run by people anymore. But that's not to say he didn't look good last year. I thought he actually looked really good. Um, More of a question as to whether he's going to play. Like there just hasn't been any sign of an imminent, um, you know, all clear from the league on him. So I'm just, you know, not, he's a hard guy to rank Greg. So mm-hmm. like being, being 17 spots lower, like I, I thought about him in spots in the Scott fishbowl, like when's too early to take him at a certain point, I would have drafted him in the Scott fishbowl and, and he went, you know, maybe uh, a round or so before I, th- started thinking about it seriously. So, you know, not a complete diss. And if he comes back, obviously I, I think he has value in uh, with the Patriots and a future hall of fame quarterback and a, a pretty thin wide receiver situation after Julian Edelman. So, you know, it, it's just, I can't fully embrace a guy like that whose status we're so unclear on. Yeah. I think I'm a little more willing to take that sort of risk just on with the understanding that, I might just have to cut him in week two. You know what I mean? And I won't feel great about it. But at the same time, in the place that you do have to draft him, it's not like you're paying a huge opportunity cost to do that. Now, with that said, you can take a shot on a similar sort of upside with other players who we know aren't suspended or on the, you know, ineligible to return list or whatever, whatever it's called. So I understand your skepticism and I understand, you know, why anybody would stay away from a player like that. Like I'm not drafting Kareem Hunt either. Uh, I wasn't drafting Tyreek Hill. Uh, but yeah, we don't have to get into any of that. Uh, let's keep going with Josh Reynolds, who you have 20 spots higher than ADP. And when I saw that, I just had that like Michael Scott, thank you dot gif sort of reaction where I'm like, yes, like somebody finally sees that, you know, maybe the injury optimism around Cooper Cup might be a little out of hand. Is is that what this is partially about? It's partially about that for sure. Um, you know, copped with this mid mid-season ACL tear, you know, maybe we're being a little bit optimistic that he's going to be basically the same old Cooper Cup right away. Um, But not only that, I mean, Josh Reynolds has multiple outs here because any of the top three get injured and he steps in and, you know, goes to this prolific passing offense that uses a ton of three wide receiver sets. So, and, and I know he didn't completely pay off for people last year when he did get into the lineup uh, after the cup injury, but like there were some touchdowns. There were a couple fleeting moments when it seemed like he was going to have big games, um, you know, and, and maybe it was just sort of, I don't know, working his way into the flow of things or whatever. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by him as a guy who could possibly like a lot of ways to turn a profit on him. And, you know, he's just dirt cheap uh, in most leagues, he's probably not getting drafted. You know, in some of the ones I play in where it's it's 14 or 16 teams and 20 rounds, 
um, yeah, I'm, I'm real interested in him late in those drafts. One player you don't seem to be interested in late is Paris Campbell of the Colts. You have him 14 spots below ADP, and is this a matter of him being a rookie? Does it have to do with all the other targets there in Indianapolis? Or why are you lower on Paris Campbell than, than ADP? Target competition, Greg. Totally target competition. I actually took him in the first round of a dynasty draft this year. So I like the player. Uh, I, I basically do like the landing spot overall. I like him being paired with Andrew Luck. But I do think that the target situation has to sort itself out a little bit. Maybe after this year when um, you know Devin Funches possibly isn't around because I think Funches is on just a one-year deal with the Colts, mm-hmm. um, you know, and maybe the tight end situation clears up a little bit. But right now it's just uh, such a target tussle in Indianapolis with, you know, Hilton is obviously going to get a lot of looks and then it's Campbell fighting with you know, Funches and the tight ends and Naheem Hines. Just hard to see him getting more than like 30 or 40 balls as a rookie and just in season long leagues, I, I can't, see too many instances in which I would feel comfortable starting him. Two other players who are going to be tussling for targets this season are Dante Moncrief and James Washington uh, behind Juju Smith-Schuster on the depth chart in Pittsburgh. Is this you being down on that Steelers offense in general? Do you think Juju is just going to be one of those narrow or skinny target tree monsters? Or, or is this a situation where Vance McDonald is is really going to be the guy who benefits from Antonio Brown leaving town? What's your take here? Yeah, so that's the interesting thing. Like, is there much room for Juju's target count to go up? Because I, I think he was, what, like four or six off the target league mm-hmm. lead last year, even with Antonio Brown around. I think he had, what, 166 targets. And, um, you know, so if the target growth isn't with him, uh, then, yeah, it has to be with one of these guys. But I don't know how to handicap this one, and I'm curious what how you feel about this because I know that a couple months ago the consensus seemed to be that you know Washington was the favorite here, but then there was a lot of good buzz about Moncrief in minicamp, and um, I'm kind of surprised I'm lower than consensus on Moncrief because I, um, you know, I, I thought I had a little less air between these two receivers than most rankers did. I think most of them were pro Washington. So I don't know, Greg, who are you? Are you uh, team Washington or are you team Moncrief? I am team Washington. I think that this fluff that's going around about Moncrief just really reeks of something that coaches are saying to motivate a player like Washington in the second year, you know, kind of like, Hey, wake up kid. You got to, you know, put in the effort to beat out this veteran. Uh, But I mean, they drafted him to do that, right? They wanted him to be their Antonio Brown replacement or or whatever you want to call it. And I just, I don't know. I I'm betting on the younger player and that's often my stance uh, when it comes to fantasy football. Uh, But in this case, I don't feel strong about that. I, I prefer Washington, but I'm not opposed to drafting Moncrief. And I, I really do like Vance McDonald. He's one of the you know later tight ends, the guys who's available outside that you know top seven or eight or whatever. I think he's probably creeping up to around tight end eight if I had to guess, but I haven't checked in a while. But yeah, McDonald is probably the one I've drafted the most this offseason, but Washington is the one I would put my chips on because I, I think it probably has to be a receiver that picks up most of those Antonio Brown targets. And in addition to just my general concerns about Moncrief and uh, on the whole, I 
think that if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't he had some issues with injuries in the past? Like, I don't know if I trust him to stay healthy either. So I don't usually like to factor that sort of like injury risk or injury proneness narrative into my reasoning. But I, I just think there are a lot of little factors that make Washington the slightly more appealing player to me. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, um, you know, like I and I said this on Twitter the other day, like I have not I've spent the last half decade trying to get a handle on Dante Moncrief. And I still feel like I have no idea when he came into the league. Everyone liked the athletic profile and the height and speed just looked like a really nice prospect. And, you know, slow rookie year, promising second year. And from that point on, I think we've had like zero clarity. And there was an injury, I think, the year he, well, one year he started with like seven touchdowns in nine games and then got hurt. And uh, another year he was hurt in the year when Andrew Luck got hurt. So his numbers were terrible and he lost four games. And that was just kind of a tough season to judge him on since Luck wasn't playing. But yeah, he is still like a big question mark right now. And um you know, Washington, I don't think it was reasonable for us to expect a lot from him last year behind Antonio Brown and Juju, but, you know, it would have been nice to see him catch more passes than Ryan Switzer, I guess. Yeah. So uh, he is one of the guys I'm most interested to see in the preseason. Like, I um, I was always kind of fascinated by him anyway with this um, his deep ball skills, which is normally uh, sort of the – the guys you expect to have that skill set are like these lean, tall guys. And James Washington is built more like a running back. He's like 5'11 and 220 and yet has these incredible ball skills. So uh, I can't wait to see him in the preseason. I really want to see how he does with you know a bigger target load and, and whether he can seize that role. Another situation that we're going to have to probably wait for preseason to really sort out are the tertiary Tampa Bay wide receivers. Prashad Perriman, Justin Watson, and Scott Miller, you have all of these guys ranked higher than ADP. I kind of get it. It's one of those things where you're betting on this offense, the pass volume they had last year. Now they bring in Bruce Arians. A lot of the other wide receivers there or, or targets are, are gone uh, with Adam Humphreys out of the picture. So someone has the chance to step up. Uh, it seems like Perriman is that guy you think has the best chance of doing it, but uh, I, I don't know. Lay, lay out this situation for me and tell me what you like about him, Watson, and Miller. Yeah, well, quick disclaimer. I mean, all these guys are ranked in places where they would still be undrafted in a typical, say, 12-team, yes, 16-man roster league. So I don't know. Maybe I'm buying a little too much into the 2015 Cardinals where they had the uh, Larry Fitz, John Brown, Michael Floyd three-pronged production and there were a couple other years with Arians where you know it was mostly Larry Fitz but then it was like J.J. Nelson and Jerron Brown and John Brown whenever he was healthy maybe there's room for more than two of these guys to be fantasy relevant if only in spurts and boy I really liked what I saw from Perryman late last year in Cleveland like he actually looked good you know I know we've kind of written him off because of all the injuries but um you know he was a pretty remarkable size speed prospect coming out of miami and maybe it's uh yeah maybe it's just a tad too early to give up on him and i just also sort of like the prospect profiles of watson and miller so granted barring an injury to evans or godwin like 
I don't think these guys are ever going to be startable in fantasy leagues, but definitely interesting guys, all three of them. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe one of them became rosterable even without an Evans or Godwin injury. And if something happened to one of those guys, like this would be a situation worth paying attention to. Yeah, I was a, an early adopter of Perriman. I, I drafted him in uh, a dynasty league, you know, as a rookie. And boy, did I feel burned by him for so long. Like every year it was like, okay, now it's he's over the injury. It's, it's time for him to come around. And of course, it just never happened. And and then after last season, when he did go to Cleveland, I, I had the same reaction as you. I was like, wow, you know, Brashad Perriman doesn't look, you know, great. He's still not, you know, what we wanted him to be. But boy, does he look a lot better with Baker Mayfield throwing him the ball than he did with Joe Flacco throwing him the ball. And I'm wondering how much that might have also stunted his growth in addition to the injuries because Flacco hasn't really been good for very long. And maybe to bring it all full circle back to the Broncos, maybe that's another reason to stay away from Emmanuel Sanders and Deshaun Hamilton and uh, maybe just that offense in general. Uh, But yeah, with with Perriman, with Watson, with Miller, I, I think the biggest concern I have is that maybe OJ Howard is just that third option in the passing attack, and I and I assume that you, uh, based upon where you had these receivers ranked, that's what you would believe as well that sure. OJ Howard is the, the number three or maybe even the number two in that offense, depending upon the week. I'm fascinated to see how it plays out though, because we've seen Arians spread it out before, and if he does put one of these guys on the field with those other three receivers, I mean, if an opposing defense has to cover Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and OJ Howard. You know, Brashad Perriman, Justin Watson, Scott Miller, these guys might just be running free, you know, in the secondary. So uh, there's opportunity for one of these players to be relevant, and maybe it's only in a best ball sense, but I don't know. You're right. I think that maybe at some point in the season, this this could be where we find, you know, some waiver value. I'm excited to see how that plays out. Um, we spent a lot of time on wide receivers and running backs. Those are the two most important positions in fantasy. But I quickly want to touch on uh, a couple QBs and um, a couple tight ends. Uh, I want to start off with Tom Brady and Drew Brees. I'm just curious, what do you think the odds of these either of these two completely falling off the age cliff this season is? Because you have both ranked below ADP. Uh, Tom Brady seven spots lower, Drew Brees five spots lower. That's part of the risk. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen with either guy, but I think they're both at the age where it has to be baked into the overall draft profile for them in fantasy. And, you know, Brady's lost... Gronk, a pretty critical weapon, and you know he's he doesn't have a real reliable wide receiver other than Julian Edelman. Nikhil Harry was a nice addition for them, but you know we've seen the Patriots draft some other wide receivers early and not have them work out. I think Harry will work out. We just don't know how much we're going to get from him in the first year. Uh, you know, Philip Dorsett has started to look a little better, and maybe he factors in. Um, who knows? And of, of course, there are the rumors that Gronk could actually return. I don't know how realistic that is. And the Josh Gordon thing is a wild card. But right now, we I think we have to take him as we see him as far as what his uh, weapons look like. And, and there is just not much there. And he's getting older, and I think they're going to be pretty run heavy. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of fading him. He's not really a guy I would feel great about starting. You're not going to get any running from him. Uh, same thing with Breeze. With Breeze, it's more about the overall shift, I think, the last two years to the running game, particularly late in both the last two seasons. Um, 
you know, we talked earlier in this show about stacking and how I think it was the Fantasy Pros Invitational League last year. I wound up stacking Camara and Michael Thomas and Drew Brees on the same team. And I, at one point, I think I was six and oh and like leading the league and scoring by 80 points or something like that. Nice. And, and by the end of the season, it wasn't working so well. And I pretty much crashed and burned because the Saints were just, you know, they were run heavy and it was Camara sharing with Ingram. And, um, you know, Breeze and Thomas just weren't producing much for me late. And, you know, we had seen that the year before, too. So I think part of that is maybe sort of an age deference thing with Sean Payton, realizing he's got this older quarterback. Um, we've also seen Drew Brees getting spelled by Taysom Hill, sometimes at the goal line, which infuriates fantasy owners and Breeze owners to no ends. Um, so, yeah, there's just like I've, I've been a Breeze buyer for a long time, I guess, not when his ADP was insane, but the last couple of years when he's been mm-hmm. more reasonably priced, like I've been all over him. And uh, this year I'm just kind of losing enthusiasm because of the direction of that offense. Yeah, no, I've been all in on him over the past, you know, couple of years as well for that same reason. It's just people got bored of Drew Brees, but I, I guess maybe that was also folks trying to anticipate the age cliff. Uh, but fascinating case with both these guys. I, I just don't think we know exactly what the New England offense is going to look like with all the changes that they've gone through over this offseason. I expect them to be more run heavy than ever, but I just... I never want to try to pin Bill Belichick's game plans down because he surprises us year after year, week after week. And I, I don't know. I think that makes Brady intriguing still, uh, especially if you're getting, you know, this you know best quarterback to ever play at a discount in fantasy drafts. But I, I, I understand. And I, I kind of agree with all the risks that you associated with him. I'm really fascinated by both these cases. I think quarterback this year is so wide open and it's, it's been like that for a while, but I think when you start to see Tom Brady sliding down drafts and Drew Brees sliding down drafts in favor of guys who were, you know, injured last year or, uh, you know, just up and coming somehow, like these guys are going behind Kyler Murray, who we've never even seen take an NFL snap. And that's kind of insane to me, but I I understand why people are drafting like that. It's fascinating. I can't wait to see how it plays out. The other quarterback I want to ask you about is Marcus Mariota, and you have him six spots higher than ADP at the quarterback position. I am also a bit of a Mariota truther. I think that last year you can explain away because of all the injuries he was dealing with. Like the dude couldn't feel his fingers when he was throwing the football. And I just, I can't even imagine trying to do that. So I'm, I'm ready to give him a pass for last year, but the year previous, I don't know, maybe, maybe I can't give him a pass for that. Uh, Tell me what you like about Mariota in 2019. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by the number of people who are ready to just walk away and conclude that Mariota sucks considering some of the injury problems he's had. And it, it does go beyond last year, obviously though, with the nerve thing and the, you know, tingling feeling or numbness in his hand, throwing hand, not good. Part of it is the health. I want to see what he can do when he's healthy. Uh, part of it is the running ability. I mean, this is a guy who came out of school with four five speed and who, um, you know, I know people think of Dak Prescott as a running quarterback, and I believe Mariota has averaged more rushing yards per game than Prescott. And granted, Prescott has reliably scored six rushing touchdowns a season for the last couple of years, 
and uh, Mariota hasn't done that. But this is a guy who can definitely punch in the Konami code, and his weapons have been upgraded with you know Humphreys coming in, Delaney Walker coming back, A.J. Brown added to the mix, and I just cannot get over Greg, like, remembering what this guy was at Oregon and how mm-hmm. sensational he was. It would be, you know, if someone were to tell me that Tua Tagovailoa, uh, my best attempt at pronouncing his last name, if Tua five years from now would be regarded as the guy who, you know, is going QB 25, QB 26 in fantasy drafts, like, I just wouldn't believe it. And I kind of have that same disbelief that Mariota, like, this is it. This is... You know, he's never getting any better than this. I'm, I'm just not ready to believe that yet. So uh, in two QB leagues, I'm I'm very interested in him. Now, in one QB leagues where it doesn't necessarily make sense to take a second quarterback, I don't know if he deserves to be drafted. But super flex, two QB leagues, deep leagues, 16 team leagues, like I'm definitely interested. Yeah, no, same. I don't think you need to draft him in a one quarterback format because – there are other quarterbacks with more upside and ones that will still be readily available. I think the, the biggest knock for me against Mariota is just that the Tennessee Titans figure to be a run first team. And as much as I like his rushing ability, you know, in theory, that Konami code you talked about, I do have concerns that for a rushing quarterback, he might not have the same sort of goal line opportunity as a rusher just because Derrick Henry's on that team. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like the reverse of Cam Newton and the Panthers running backs. Like there there were always concerns if you drafted Jonathan Stewart back in the day or or whoever else, uh D'Angelo Williams, that those guys just weren't going to score enough touchdowns because Cam would vulture all of them from them. I think you might see the opposite play out here with Mariota, where even though he's a running quarterback and you would love to see him, you know, sneak a few in and, and kind of boost your fantasy totals that way. I just I don't know how you don't just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's and that's fair. It's a fair concern, and I know a lot of people think the Titans are going to be run heavy this year. I mean, I'd personally I would be willing to uh, you know take the under and some Derrick Henry carry bets with people. You know, like I I don't know if I can see a, a 280, 290 carry season for him. So um, you know we'll we'll. See, it's going to be interesting to see how this offense unfolds. Like, I'm not quite sure how it's going to play out. That's another one that, you know, we talked about these offenses we have to get a handle on in the preseason. And, you know, the Titans, Baltimore, Arizona, there's some really interesting offenses that I I can't wait to find out more about in the weeks to come. Let's kick it over to the tight end position quickly and maybe we can just try to go rapid fire with these guys, but what do you like about Matt Lacoste? Cause you have him a bit higher than the field. I think he's just the guy right now. Um, Watson, like we'll see what happens to Watson when he comes back. Um, I just, as of now, I think Lacoste is um, number one on a team with a quarterback who's always leaned on his tight ends pretty heavily. And um, you know, just kind of a, a interesting dart throw right now not some necessarily a guy i'm going all in on like for sleeper tight ends i think i like darren darren waller of the raiders a little more than lacoste but lacoste is sort of an interesting uh deep league late play yeah i mean he's a a second tight end or a third tight end in most formats but if you can find any piece of that patriots offense that is going to put up points you want to do that and it is such a 
kind of dark and cloudy situation there. Like, I don't think we know who the third highest scoring position player on the Patriots is going to be at right. this point. It's really difficult to point that out. And I, I doubt it'll be Matt Lacoste, and that's why I'm not really interested. But in terms of the tight end position and how horrible it is once you get past a certain level of player, you know, you might as well take a shot on the tight end in a good offense. We, we've talked about that a lot on this show. Uh, the other one I want to talk to you about is Jason Witten, who you are a little low on. And I get it. The guy's coming back to the NFL from a season spent, you know, in the booth. I, I'm just curious, would you rather roster a different Dallas tight end? Do you think that Witten is ultimately going to be the highest scoring tight end in that offense? Or are, are you willing to look elsewhere? So if it was even money, I guess I probably would bet Witten to have more yardage. But I mean, if you could give me like even just plus 130 on my money, I would bet J- Blake Charwin. I think it's uh, close enough where, you know, maybe a, a 55, 45, 60, 40 percentage chance of, of Witten being the higher scoring guy. Um, you know, I, I, and Jarwin would have been a guy I would be interested in had Witten not come back. But, and it, it kind of stinks because I, I hate to see Witten come back just to maybe, it feels like he's doing it to wash the taste of this disappointing mm-hmm. uh, booth experience him out of his mouth like he wants to be remembered as a player rather than a, a mediocre broadcaster and um it's too bad because you know the guy certainly had a, a great career and I, he doesn't need this curtain call but you know i guess if if that's what he feels he has to do god bless him and you know i hope he doesn't get hurt and is able to walk away with his wits about him and uh his body intact yeah, I hope he has a great season, and I think that there's an avenue for him to do that, considering you know where this Dallas offense is at. I mean, we know they probably want to be run first with Ezekiel Elliott leading the charge, and Amari Cooper's going to get his, and Michael Gallup's coming up. But beyond those three players, I mean, you're you're looking at Witten or Randall Cobb, like a, kind of a lot of cast-offs or, or no-names to potentially fill in those tertiary roles in Dallas. And um, I don't know. I, I would love to see Witten kind of go back out there and, and, and prove the haters wrong, so to speak. That that would be a, a pretty fun story uh, to see this season. But um, Me too. Me too. And I think if it happens, though, like he obviously I think the scoring would be real touchdown dependent. Sure. But I mean, that's kind of the tight end position in a nutshell, right? Yeah, mostly. I mean, there are other guys who can do more. Like I think there are 20 – tight ends who could maybe get you 600 receiving yards. I don't think Witten can get 600 receiving yards anymore. I, I think that's kind of out of his range of outcomes now. Yeah, that's fair. All right, uh, we're going to get into our Scott Fishbowl drafts in just a minute uh, where you drafted a lot of the players that we just talked about in that ranking segment. But before we do, I want to tell you about the sponsor of this episode, Draft. Listen up, fantasy football fans. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, and we know you do, that's why you're here listening to this podcast, then you need to enter the $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. That's right. $3.5 million in real U.S. American currency dollars. It's a big deal. Here's how best ball works over a draft. It's season long, but with no management, set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waivers. You don't even have to set a lineup. Your best players are automatically selected and started for you in every week, giving you the best possible score, guaranteed. No salary caps. This is a real-life snake draft, just like you would play with your friends in your season-long league. There's no better place to play, and you can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple of minutes on draft, so you can join one right now as soon as you sign up. 
Just do a draft and you could be a millionaire 16 weeks later. It doesn't get any easier than that. So join me on Draft today. Download the app at any time. Just search Draft in the App Store or Play Store. Join a game in minutes. Or you can play right from your computer on Draft.com. Whatever's easier for you. It's, it's super, super manageable. Get in there. Right now, all new players get a free entry into a best ball draft when they make their first deposit. But you have to use our promo code 4 for 4 just like it's spelled in the website address. The number 4, then F-O-R, then the number 4 again. And when you make your first deposit with that code, you'll be playing in a real money game for free. Once again, just search Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and come play for free with promo code 4 for 4, the number 4, F-O-R, then the number 4 again. All right, Pat, let's get into the SFB. And we are in a pretty unique position to discuss our Scott Fishbowl drafts because we were both picking from the same position at 106. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering, what do you mean you're picking from the same position in the same league? This isn't, we're not actually in the same league. We're in a large field tournament of multiple leagues uh, in the Scott Fishbowl. If you want to learn more about it, listeners, go to scottfishbowl.com. I've talked a lot about it on the podcast to this point. And apologies if you're getting sick of it, but this is kind of the official kickoff to the fantasy season for a lot of redraft analysts, myself included. And it's super flex, it's deep, it's unique, and it's just a lot of fun to talk about. So uh, I I hate to say it, but you're probably going to keep hearing about it on the show from time to time. Uh, Maybe not every episode, I'll try to scale it back as we get deeper into the offseason. But uh, give me this one last thing before I take my cross-country move is is another conversation about the Scott Fishbowl with Pat Fitzmorris. And Pat, before we get into our drafts and how they played out, I want to talk to you about the slow draft nature of this, where you have eight hours to make your pick and that timer gets suspended overnight, overnight on the Eastern time zone. So, hey, there's another benefit of moving east. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I saw you put out a tweet about um, someone maybe using too much clock or, or not being a fan of somebody who used a lot of clock. And I actually want to push back on this a little bit because I, I don't think we should really begrudge people for using a lot of the clock. One, because it's right there in the rules. Everybody knows it's coming. If someone takes six hours to pick or eight hours to pick, ultimately that's their prerogative. And I think there is an advantage to using more clock in a slow draft, especially at this time of year where you never know when news is going to trickle out that you know Tyreek Hill isn't going to get suspended or that Melvin Gordon might hold out. I mean, you're in a unique position to talk about that. And I understand like the first rounds of these drafts were over a week ago at this point, but I think there is an actual advantage to using more clock if you want to do that. Now, I'm the type of person who just can't wait to get my picks in more than anything else. I don't want to overthink things. Uh, So I'm not going to chew the clock. And I I think it is generally more courteous to your league mates to pick faster. But I don't know. Do you think it's fair to really begrudge people for using a lot of their clock in these slow drafts? Well, I think it depends. So I didn't actually, like, I didn't complain about anyone in my draft. And I've I've never chewed out anyone in any of uh, my drafts for using too much clock. And I, I do a lot of these best balls, and I've had one pretty much going nonstop since the draft rooms opened for the, the best balls. Um, I think the only time I haven't had a best ball draft going was when I wanted to be free and clear for Scott Fishball. Um, but you know, it's often two of these and like, I don't care how much clock people want to use. That's fine. I think I might've, what you might've seen was me responding to someone else on Twitter. Yes. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah. There was one guy, I guess, who averaged, um, like was averaging six, some hours a pick and had timed out on more than half his picks and gotten auto picks, which I think is, you know, if you're going to be doing that, like I, yeah, that's bad. Timing out is bad. Yeah, timing out is bad, especially if you're in the Scott Fishbowl, this thing that you've got like literally thousands of people coveting spots in who can't get in. 
And, you know, Scott keeps expanding this league every year to let more and more people in. And there are, you know, still some people who would like cut off a toe to get into this league. And you've got a guy like timing out on half his picks. Like that's kind of Bush League. So, yeah, I really don't have a problem with it. I mean, personally, when I'm in a draft, I like to go. So uh, generally, like I don't average more than like 12 minutes between picks. And but, you know, slow drafts are great. And I don't think I would want to be in a slow draft where everyone was the same as me because I like the fact that if I go out to dinner with my family and uh, I'm on the clock, you know, like no one's going to be mad at me that, you know, a pick doesn't come from me for two hours because there are other guys taking two hours between picks. And that's fine, you know, but like I'm antsy and uh, but like I'm not ever going to browbeat anyone in one of my leagues for not making picks like that i just um it it was the sensitivity that to that guy's situation where it was one guy uh chewing up so much of the clock every single time and timing out multiple times um but yes and to your second point about the advantage especially during training camp with the news flying and uh you know even as we saw during this draft you know i picked melvin gordon at 106 and a couple days later melvin gordon announces a a holdout so there can be an advantage to waiting and uh you know certainly if we had heard that josh gordon was free to return or, or something where it could dramatically change the value of a player and i have had uh one of the sharpest best ball drafters i know jen ryan aka jersey jen come on my podcast and tell me that she will intentionally take extra time in a best ball draft to maybe a, a news nugget pops up that helps her make a decision with the draft pick. So um, I think there is kind of an edge to doing that. It's just that personally, I like to go pretty fast and uh, that's just me, but I really have no issue with other people using the full shot clock. Yep. I mean, the other, there are incentives to drafting faster too. I mean, and that's the thing is that you can spin this either way. One of the advantages to drafting quicker is that you can finish your draft faster and draft more. You know what I mean? Like if I can be doing more drafts and and going for that volume drafting approach, uh, I'm going to get exposure to more players. And, you know, in my next draft, once that news has broken on, you know, Josh Gordon or whoever, I can adapt in that draft and, and make the correct pick in a separate draft than in the one I'm drafting right now. And I think another advantage to making picks quicker is you put the clock on your opponent sooner. Like you don't give them as much time to wait it out and see what the news is going to be. Because even if I use seven and a half hours of my eight hour clock, if not, if no news breaks for me to take advantage of, then I've wasted that time. But what I have done is I've given everybody who drafts after me that eight or that seven and a half hours off so that they might be the player or, or the drafter who gets to benefit from using more clock. And I think that in general, if you're really good at fantasy and, and you and you believe yourself to be a sharper drafter, you actually want to draft earlier in the offseason uh, when, when you might be able to get a better statistical read or analytical read on situations before all the coach speak happens, before you know the preseason plays out and we see which of these players are going to pop. I, I think there's advantage to that as well, like trying to get out in front of the news through you know a, a better fundamental understanding of you know certain teams, certain situations, certain players. Yes, I agree with that. 
All right, so let's get into our Scott Fishbowl drafts. Uh, I, I didn't mean to tangent us too long on you know the politics of slow drafting, but it, it comes up a lot in Twitter conversation. Uh, but anyway, uh, you took Melvin Gordon in the first round. I took Travis Kelsey. And while I, I really hate drafting tight ends early, the best part about taking Kelsey in the first is that I don't really have to worry about the tight end position for most of the rest of the draft. But you waited on your tight ends. And having waited, I want to know how you feel about your tight end situation where you took David Njoku in the 7th, Trey Burton in the 12th, and your boy Matt Lacoste in the 16th. Um, I feel okay about the tight end situation, but if I had a do-over, and uh, really, Greg, like there are 1,199 people like really happy about their Scott Fishbowl drafts, and I might be the one guy who isn't real happy about it. <laughs> uh, I just felt like I made some tactical errors and maybe didn't, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I would have played it differently. Normally in these drafts, you see different divisions take different approaches to the various positions. And some uh, divisions really have the quarterbacks come flying off the boards and others like the tight ends are getting gobbled up real quickly. And I was kind of prepared to, you know, take an opposite tack and find wherever the positional value was. And a lot of the times it's wide receiver. And I was kind of thinking I was going to go there, but I was sort of flummoxed when there were, um, when there was sort of this balanced approach in my league, like it, mm. it crossed me up a little bit. And I, I think in hindsight, I, I still should have stuck with the heavy wide receiver build. And I didn't do that. Um, in hindsight, I, I would have taken pretty much exactly who you took with your first two picks. I was hoping someone was going to take the Travis Kelsey option off my plates and uh, not leave me with the Kelsey versus Gordon dilemma, but that's what I wound up with, and I, I picked Gordon, which now obviously uh, with the holdout news looks like kind of the the bad choice. So as for Njoku, I mean, I I know the target situation is somewhat dicey looking for him, but that is talent I am willing to bet on. Like that freakish athletic profile, the um, – you know, steady progression over his first two seasons. Now he's got Baker Mayfield as his quarterback. I just, like, I'm really excited about him for the future. I know with Beckham and Landry on hand, um, targets could be hard to come by if both of those guys stay healthy. But, like, I just want to bet on the t- talent here and hope that the targets are going to sort themselves out. And uh, I felt like I got value on Burton. You did. That's a nice spot for him. The 12th round and the tight end premium format here, I, I'm surprised he lasted that long. Yeah, I mean, just maybe uh, as I, I saw someone refer to him on Twitter, maybe it was Graham Barfield as the post-hype sleeper. Like everyone was excited about him last year and it didn't quite happen. So maybe this is the year, um, you know, they talked about him being the Bears version of Ertz. I don't think it's ever going to be that good, but... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I thought I got decent value on him. With with Njoku, I think that that's a fine pick. And like you said, the target situation there isn't great, but he could just as easily be this year's Eric Ebron, right? Where he doesn't get that many targets, but based upon that freakish frame of his and athleticism, he could just you know be a touchdown monster for them in the red zone. You know, based upon all the attention that Odo Beckham is going to get, that Nick Chubb is going to get, that Baker Mayfield, you know, with his legs is going to get. David Njoku slips you know, fakes like he's blocking, slips into the end zone and, and catches TDs over and over again. Like I could see that happening. That's a story I can tell myself. And so I think 
betting on that type of upside with a, a later pick tight end, you're, if you're going to wait on your tight end one, I think that's the way to do it, is you go after these guys that have the talent, this, the tools to be those big-time producers and hope that you know they can perform at an overly efficient level. I think that that's uh, kind of partially what happened with George Kittle. I mean, ultimately, Kittle saw a ton of volume, but a lot of the reason why you would draft Kittle last year, where he was going, which, again, was late, just like Njoku is, is starting to go this year, was that he was a physical freak, that he had that you know Travis Kelsey body type or whatever. You, you were betting on that more than anything else with Kittle last year, and I think doing that with Njoku this season makes a lot of sense. I, I actually like what you did at the tight end position a lot, and if I had taken Melvin Gordon at 106 or, or a running back or whoever in that spot, th- this is probably the type of approach I would have taken, which is try to find guys who are post-hype, like Njoku, like Burton. And Lacoste doesn't fit the post-hype bill, but he's another guy who... Again, just we, we talked about this earlier. The value just might be there because he could be the best option at that position for his team in a, a season where there isn't a whole lot of clarity. Let's talk about your quarterbacks because you spent up for Deshaun Watson in the second. I think that that's very justifiable in this format where you get yardage bonuses for 300 passing yards and 50 rushing yards. There will be probably multiple games where Deshaun Watson hits both those bonuses in the same game. And those bonuses are five points each. So uh, I I am really looking forward to seeing the types of numbers that he puts up, uh, that some of the other Russian quarterbacks put up, especially the guys who could also be prolific passers like Watson. But then you waited. Uh, You you did buy into Mariota as your QB2. And then at the very fringes, you took Ryan Fitzpatrick as your QB3. And this is a super flex, so you'd only have to start one quarterback in any given week, but you'd rather start two. I'm curious what your read on Fitzpatrick is uh, there in Miami. We've talked about how we're not really excited about bad teams. I think the Dolphins are likely one of those. And Fitzpatrick is competing with Josh Rosen for playing time. Over under seven and a half games started for Ryan Fitzpatrick. That is a real good number for him. A real good number. (laughs) Um, I would bet the over. Uh, and it wouldn't be much over. I mean, I think that is the right line for him. It just uh, feels like an over. Um, I, I know they want to get a look at Rosen and find out what he can be. Although Rosen would have to be phenomenal for them, I think, to not take one of the quarterbacks in uh, next year's draft, assuming they have a top three pick. Mm-hmm. But boy, there's also a chance, you know, Rosen just isn't very good. I know he was dealt a losing hand in Arizona last year. Um, So at that point, I mean, that was like the 17th round. And I think Fitzpatrick was the only quarterback left with any plausible shot at playing time. I mean, I know like Teddy Bridgewater and Will Greer got taken in my draft, but um, you know, Fitz is the only one with a, a pretty decent chance at playing time. And it was, you know, either him or my wide receiver 60, at the time. So, um, yeah, and g- getting back to Watson, Greg, I think you might have yeah. been kind on the assessment. Like, if I had a do over on that, I would have taken uh, Beckham or Juju in that spot and Fair. waited. I, I think one of the things I did, I, I liked being in the middle. I like generally, especially in super flex leagues, drafting in the middle because it's real easy to control the positional runs and especially a quarterback where, you know, you don't want to get caught in bad situations, which can happen when you're on one of the ends and you kind of have to force the issue a little bit more. Well, I maybe forced the issue more than I had to at quarterback, whereas I should have just tried to 
wait it out a little more and take guys at the end of tiers that I like. I, I think I should have just kept pounding running back and wide receiver. You know, I should have gotten a, an ace wide receiver in that second round and, you know, waited and gotten like one of the guys you got later on. Like, uh, you know, I know you got Dak in the sixth round and it was Dak, right? Dak yep, and then Dak Roth- in the sixth, Roethlisberger in the seventh, Garoppolo in the eighth. It's, it's crazy how we were drafting from the same spot. And our strategies or our implementation of picks or like position uh, approaches was so starkly different. Like for, we talked about how we were different with the tight ends, the quarterbacks. You spread your quarterback picks really far apart. I put all of mine back to back. I just yes, triple tap the position right straight. in the middle of rounds, and that comes back to that idea you were talking about of drafting in the middle. N- not only do I want to be able to react to the room, and that's kind of what I did here. Is I just waited until I saw the spot in the draft where I. I knew that if I took one, I was probably going to take another one in the second round or in the next round. And then I was pretty sure after I made that pick, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to triple tap this because not only am I reacting and making sure that I get three of the top, you know, 24 quarterbacks or whatever, just to make sure that I have, uh, you know, a good way to kind of mix and match and play matchups during the season. I, I also like trying to be the auto drafter, so to speak, in some of my drafts where I'm forcing the action on the other people in the room to say like, hey, look, these quarterbacks are going. Every time it gets to me, I'm going to take another one. So either get on the train and, you know, slide down some wide receiver and running back values to me later, or, you know, you're going to miss out on the quarterback position. I like being that person who tries to assert some sort of leverage over the room. Do you find yourself doing that much when you're drafting? I do it more when I'm in one of the end spots. I think you almost have to do that when you're in one of the end spots where you can sort of double, uh, you know, hit a position twice and sort of force things a little bit. Like in the middle, I I think you're more able to, um, I I guess it's less of a strategy when I'm right in the middle where I'm just like looking for value and, um, you know, I know there isn't going to be that long between picks you know so i i can just sort of get best player available and um yeah I, I know what you're talking about with that strategy but i usually it's not usually a strategy i'm looking to execute from the middle yeah i i think that it's easier to do from the middle in a super flex league specifically with the quarterback position sure just because the pool of players is so limited the supply is capped at you know 32 starters Whereas with running backs, there are so many teams doing running back by committee. Uh, with wide receivers, you know there are two to three relevant guys on most teams, and so it's really hard to kind of assert that sort of will on a draft from those positions. But at quarterback, if you do just keep hammering the position, and you, and you're going to want three in a two quarterback or super flex league, so if you do go back to back or back to back to back like I did, that does I feel like put some pressure on uh, the other drafters now. Admittedly, I, I did, you know, there's opportunity costs with each one of those picks, right? I gave up three rounds of potentially addressing other positions, but that is one of the benefits of taking Kelsey early uh, and, and kind of spreading out the positions through my first five picks. I had a tight end, two wide receivers, and two running backs. Like I went for that balanced approach early, almost precisely so I could do this at the quarterback position. And that, that was something I was aiming to do, and I'm, I'm glad I was able to pull it off. Now, uh, I want to kind of go round by round here. Uh, this is kind of a silly idea, but because we each had the same draft spot, I, I want to score our drafts against each other, kind of like a boxing match where we try to figure out which one of us won each round when, when our picks are compared head to head. Now, 
I, I want to acknowledge that the circumstances of our drafts were different, right? Like I had different players available to me than you did when you were on the clock in your league. Um, and also whoever we took earlier, like I took Kelsey in the first, you took Melvin Gordon in the first, whoever we take early is going to dictate who we have to take later. So I, I don't necessarily want to compare the overall drafts um, together and say like which specific player like was perfect for you in that position. I kind of want to just put these players head to head in a vacuum. And uh, so we'll start with round one, Gordon versus Kelsey. And I think that Kelsey is the better pick in SFB nine format. I mean, I, I picked yes. him there over Melvin Gordon. Uh, but with that said, if this were a more traditional league, I would have been the guy who drafted Gordon in that spot. Same as you. So I, I would actually like just player versus player, Six pick overall in a draft. I would score this round for you. Uh, what What do you think? Uh, I'm remorseful. I would have taken Kelsey if given a do over. So I I would score for you for sure. Okay. A- yeah. And, and if, if we're talking SFB nine format, I agree that that I mean again that that's the pick I made was Kelsey over Gordon. So um, sorry. I'm going to rapid fire through some of these because I want to get through sure. all 22 picks and we're we're going pretty long here. Uh, next up, uh, round two, Deshaun Watson versus Odell Beckham. I think you already expressed remorse on this. Are you scoring this one for me? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm conceding this one too. Okay, me too. Uh, round three, Marlon Mack versus Damian Williams. Well, considering you got Mack in the fourth round and I got him in the third round, uh, I got to give you this one. Yeah, I've, I've got Damian ranked ahead of Mack. So. It was really close for me, actually. I almost, Mack was the other player I was considering with this pick. But yeah, I, I picked Damian over him. So another one for me, Pat. You're, you're not doing so well in the, the opening <laughs> no. rounds of this match. Uh, but I think it's about to turn. Uh, round five, Kenny Galladay versus Julian Edelman. Oh, see, I've got Edelman ranked ahead of Galladay. Okay. Yeah, see, I, I definitely had Edelman higher for this format because of the yardage bonus scoring. Like, I think sure. that Edelman is a really sure. good bet to hit 50 yards in most, if not all, of his games. But I might lean Galladay in a more standard setup. I think that both of them could dominate targets in similar ways. But Galladay does seem more solidified in his volume. Like, just a guy who's uh, definitely going to get a ton of targets. He's younger, which makes me believe he's probably, you know, a little less susceptible to injury or the age cliff or however you want to quantify it. And I think he's probably the better TD threat than Edelman. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's all offset by the chasm in quality between the Lions' offense and the Patriots' offense. But could be. I, I still think I might want Galladay's touchdown upside in a regular draft more. Uh, with that said, I did take Edelman over Galladay because of the SFB scoring. So um, yeah, this is another one that, depending upon how you want to look at the players, like whether it's SFB specific or just you know uh, more traditional scoring, I, I think you could score this one either way. I, I would give it to you in a in a traditional league. Yeah. No. For. I- I would concede that one, actually. I mean, Galladay might have more top-end potential, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Edelman is, for me, personally ranked higher. You got him wide receiver 16, whereas I got Galladay wide receiver 18 there. So, um, yeah, I'd give that I'd give that one to you. Oh, man. Well, are, are you ever going <laughs> to win one of these rounds? Uh, how about round six? Allen Robinson for you, Dak Prescott for me. I think I'm going to have to wait a little longer on this, given the value of the quarterbacks in the 2QB league. I mean, I like Robinson. I, I, I think I'm going to own him a lot. Like, I have no problem with where I got him. I, I like the pick, but um, I think you got more value with Dak where you got him. Yeah, I think that this is more indicative just the way my particular draft room broke. Um, and in a super flex league, I think that Dak is probably a better, a better value here in the sixth round. Um, but, but again, like that's Scott Fishbowl specific. Um, if if this were a more like the 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 Konami code, the rushing bonus, the potential for him to get those fifty yard rushing bonuses of five points, 
I think that like puts Dak over the top for this format. But I I love getting Robinson in the sixth round. Like he's the type of wide receiver, like the archetype who we might have been drafting in the third or fourth, you know, a year sure. or two years ago when he was healthy and. I think that the Bears' offense is only going to get better. Uh, they're probably going to have to pass more because it's really hard for defenses to repeat year to year like the Bears, you know, are trying to do. Um, I, I really like that you stacked Robinson with Trey Burton. Like I feel like you're one way or the other, you're going to get value on one of those guys. And um, I think for you to for that Trey Burton pick to or stack to work out, you have to get Robinson first. So this is another one I would score for you. Um, mostly just because I think that wide receiver is more important than quarterback, even in a, a two QB league for the most part. I, I just think quarterback in general is kind of replaceable. Like I don't, I'm relatively agnostic with, with which guys I target. Um, so like I took Dak there, but I would have been just fine with most other quarterbacks there. I think that Robinson feels like the less replaceable type of talent in that sixth round, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. All right, round seven, uh, David Njoku versus Ben Roethlisberger. Now here, uh, I, I think that quarterback is more important than tight end, so I would go with the QB value with Big Ben. Agreed, agreed. Uh, all right, round eight, Alshon Jeffrey versus Jimmy Garoppolo. We're still doing this quarterback versus receiver thing. It's it's kind of complicated. <laughs> yeah, now, so I guess we can agree that rounds eight and rounds nine are split because in rounds eight, round eight, I got Jeffrey, you got Garoppolo, in round nine, I got Mariota. You got James Washington. So uh, depending on how we look at this, I, I think maybe we uh, give the points to the quarterback in both situations. So we have to call that a split decision on those two rounds. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next up, round 10, Damian Harris versus Tevin Coleman. Now, I took Coleman in this spot over Harris, hoping to get Harris in the next round, but then I got sniped. And I almost, I, I think that Harris is the higher upside player. I think I'd, I'd rather own him, you know, across more leagues. Uh, but I, I have to score it for Tevin just because I took him over Harris in this spot. And I also have Tevin ranked ahead of Damian Harris. The Damian Harris thing was also, I was willing to take him draft him maybe a little over aggressively since I already had Sony Michelle on the roster and just sort of wanted to back that up a little. Like I'm not big on handcuffing, but um, I, I did sort of want to nail that down. I think in deeper formats like this, handcuffing can make more sense. I, I think dynasty is another place where if you are going to handcuff, it's a little more viable because if a guy goes down with an injury, not only are you getting the boost for that one season, you might also get the boost for the next season if that's a, a, a worse injury. Um, I, I, I think going Harris and Michelle together makes sense. But yeah, Coleman, I think, wins that round. Now, round 11 was probably the toughest one for me to call because I think both these guys are ascending. Uh, both of them are not the primary options in their receiving game in theory or in their offense, I should say. Uh, Kiki QT for you, Curtis Samuel for me. Uh, flip a coin, man. I have no idea. Yeah, they're pretty close. So you got Samuel 40, I got QT 46, and I think I do a Samuel just a couple spots higher than QT in my rankings. I think just another case where you were able to wring a little bit more value out of your draft than I was out of mine. So I give you that one in a close a close call. I really wasn't trying to, you know, put you under this much scrutiny, Pat, but you seem, you seem <laughs> to really hate your draft. Do you want to keep going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to punch back here in the latter rounds here. Good. All right. Round 12, Trey Burton versus Justice Hill. Now, I could see Hill kind of becoming the focal point of Baltimore's offense. I don't necessarily see that from Burton, but Burton definitely feels like the safer pick here. I think you could score this one either way, depending upon what you value more. Um, I'm going to go with Hill because I tend to lean upside, but I could see it being scored for Burton. Who do you have here? 
Uh, I, I had that one as kind of one of two rounds where you could, it was pretty much too close to call and sort of in a uh, subjective thing with the, the positional difference. So, I'd, yeah, I'd call it a split decision. Split that one with round 13 where you took Matt Breda and I took Jack Doyle? Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of a big Breda guy. So, uh, and I'm like, I mean, you got good value on Doyle at 23, I, tight end 23. I was kind of surprised by that. So uh, I thought we both got good values in that round. Yeah, I'm pretty high on Burita, so I kind of like uh, I kind of like that one for me. But you know, if if we call the last two a split decision, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I, I actually scored this one for you. I, I scored Hill over Burton. I scored Breda over Doyle just because I think running back is more important than tight end. Uh, I think that that's probably the the easiest way to look at this, but. Once you get down into these middle and late rounds, you're just throwing a lot of darts and you're hoping that some of these guys stick on your roster for, you know, more than half the season. Like we're going to cut a lot of these guys uh, either due to injury or underperformance. So uh, again, this is all subjective. We're just trying to have some fun. Uh, Round 14, Adrian Peterson versus Josh Gordon. I think there's obviously more upside with Gordon, but known quantities like AP are really tough to come by in the 14th. And I'm impressed that you got him there. So I, I score this one for you. Okay. Yeah, I'll take this one too. I guess it's it's one of the few I checked off in my column. How about round 15, Albert Wilson versus Michael Gallup? I've got Gallup ranked a little higher and uh, you know, interestingly we both got them wide re- wide receiver 62 in our respective drafts, but uh I do have Gallup just a tad higher in my ranking, so I got to give this one to you. Yeah, me too. I think that just the Dallas Cowboys are a better team situation, but who knows? As we talked about earlier, Wilson could become the target hog in Miami's offense, and maybe that's good enough to push him over the top if Gallup's competing with uh, Amari Cooper and with Ezekiel Elliott and, and you know whoever else in that offense. Uh, round 16, Matt Lacoste versus Chris Thompson. Oh, I got to give that one to you for sure. I mean, Lacoste is a, a flyer at that point. You know, it, it was a, a tight end flyer, and, you know, Thompson is like – still going to be productive and have a role there. So that was a nice get for you at running back 61. I had considered him in each of the two previous rounds. So it was one of those things where he, when he finally slid back, I was like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. I'm just going to take him. Um, round 17, uh, Fitzmagic versus Marquise Goodwin. Oh, I love you getting Goodwin there. I got to go with that one. I mean, wide receiver 72 is just, uh, yeah, man, you would, you would a funny draft with the way guys let wide receiver value slip. I did not have those kind of uh, values in my draft. Yeah, and I, f- I felt like I was even reaching, but I, I guess I wasn't. Like when I looked at ADP for the Scott Fishbowl, I wasn't reaching too much, but I I felt like reaches because what I was really going for were stacks, right? I took James Washington to go with Ben Roethlisberger. I took Michael Gallup to go with Derek Prescott. And here I took Goodwin to go with Garoppolo. And so I wasn't really thinking about, you know, whether or not these guys were values or not. I just knew I wanted that sort of extra upside tacked on for, you know, potential big weeks in the Scott Fishbowl playoffs. But yeah, score that one for me too, man. I, it's getting out of hand here, Pat. Are you knocked out yet? Or, or should we get to round 18 with I'm, TJ I'm Yeldon? Really. <laughs> He's on the ropes. Uh, TJ Yeldon versus Quincy and Nunwa for me in uh, round 18. Yeah, I thought this one was about a push. Um, yeah, same. You know, speculative plays uh, at different positions. Basically uh, even value, roughly. Yeah, similarly cloudy outlooks in both of their offenses. I, I agree, this one's a split. Uh, next up, Rashad Perriman versus Jamal Williams. Now, I'm an Aaron Jones guy, not really a Jamal Williams guy. So Williams was simply the last handcuff running back left in an offense that I wanted to tie my roster to. So I'm scoring this one for you. I think that the upside with Perriman is is pretty high. Uh, if one of those guys gets hurt, like even if Aaron Jones gets hurt, 
I, I don't know if Jamal Williams can even beat out Dexter Williams. So I'm scoring round 19 for you. Yeah, see, I was going to give this one to you, actually, because, uh, you know, Perryman, as we mentioned, there are some other guys in the mix, too, um, with Justin Watson and obviously, you know, with Godwin and Evans in front. So um, Jamal Williams, I mean, a solid number two. We see Dexter Williams beat him out, but uh, I think you got a little more value there. But, boy, uh, I'm feeling good about these last three rounds, Craig. Yeah, I, I, I think you've got, <laughs> you're have got you going to come back with a flurry of punches here. Round 20, uh, Keelan Cole for you, Deion Kane for me. And I, I love Kane. I'm, I'm just kind of irrational about it, but he might not play much. I think you got a nice value here with Cole is potentially the wide receiver, too. We, I talked about earlier how that Jacksonville passing attack, if you can find the right piece, uh, that could be valuable. And, and maybe that's Cole, right? Yeah, it could be. I mean, he's one of those guys who I think is in the mix to possibly lead that team in receiving, but the problem might be that, you know, no one has more than 700 yards. <laughs> um, so yeah, these are all, these are all speculative picks, obviously this late and, uh, you know, what in the next round, Randall Cobb against Adam Shaheen and Shaheen is certainly, you know, the draft capital and the, the athletic profile, uh, intriguing boy. I guess if Adam Shaheen is a big year, I'm in trouble with Trey Burton, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I score this one for you like because we know Randall Cobb's going to play. Shaheen might just be out there to block most of the time. That was just a bet by me against Trey Burton's health because he was hurt to end last year. I, from what I've read in like the offseason reports, it's still a little nebulous in terms of how healthy he will be. Uh, I, I should probably do a little bit more studying up on that. But I wanted a third tight end based on just the way this format is shaped up. And at this point in the draft, like all the viable tight ends are gone. I'm just going to take a guy who I know has the physical profile again. Uh, and if, you know, Burton does get hurt or can't get, can't stay on the field or whatever, maybe Shaheen pops. I think it's a real long shot, but anybody you take in the 21st round of a 12 team super flex draft is going to be a long shot, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Final round, round 22, Corey Clement versus Terry McLaurin, the uh, rookie wide receiver for the Redskins. Well, I did like this round for me, Greg, until I saw that uh, Darren Sproles was signed. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when I first looked at this, uh, I, I do still like Corey Clements, you know, um, maybe a little biased with this 22nd round pick since I'm a Wisconsin Badger and so is Corey. But yeah, like injuries slowed him last year and just how good he had looked the year before and uh surprisingly good i mean he looked faster and quicker and yep. uh did more in the passing game than he ever had at wisconsin and you know uh, almost mvp caliber performance in the super bowl victory over new england so boy i liked that pick until sproles came back so you know mclaurin's interesting because he was i mean he is such a physical freak and I just wonder if he is there mostly for special teams in year one. Like he does have some receiving upside and it's nice that he has the familiarity with Dwayne Haskins. You know, I just don't know how much involvement he gets, but it's nice that he doesn't have, um, it's not exactly the most impressive hierarchy of wide receivers in front of him. So uh, maybe he does have some receiving impact in year one. Yeah, and that was kind of what I was banking on, is that potential college quarterback-to-wide receiver connection between him and Haskins. I, I think that could actually be a thing, just considering how uninspiring those other receivers are. Uh, but, I, I don't know, it's it's just a gamble. I, I, I'm on board with gambling on the Washington passing game, like I said earlier. Um, and that 
it really stems from Alex Gellhar's appearance last last episode. That that was something that kind of opened my eyes. I'm like, yeah, maybe I sh- should take Terry McLaurin here in the Scott Fishbowl. I'll probably end up cutting him <laughs> in, in the in the first round of waivers or whatever. But I don't know. Why not? Let's have some fun with it. You know. Yeah. So, well, even with my own uh, player biases, Greg, I guess I have to stagger back to my corner, bloodied, uh, <laughs> get some water, get some Vaseline on my eyes, maybe get a pep talk from Mickey. And Cut uh, me, Mick, I can't see. <laughs> that's how I feel right now, Greg. So, uh, but yeah, that was interesting to do that sort of comparison and see the relative value you were able to squeeze out of your draft because. Uh, you know, as I said on another podcast this week, this one felt like I was drafting against 11 clones of me. Like everyone <laughs> liked the same players and there was just no value to be squeezed out uh, in those early rounds. So it was kind of a kind of a tough draft. I hope they get easier from here. Yeah, I think you're being a little too hard on yourself. Like I scored this one 13 to 9. Uh, but again, like I was trying to leave my own biases out of it. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of unavoidable. But I, I think that I, I liked a lot of your picks. Let's put it that way. And I think you you have a shot uh, here to to produce in your league. And and these Scott Fishbowl leagues really come down to in season management more than anything else. Like you're going to have to be good on waivers. You're going to have to be good on setting your lineup because the rosters go pretty deep. You you have to start three flexes on top of a normal super flex lineup. And yeah, like that rewards in season management more than it does drafting. So you. You definitely have a shot, Pat. I wouldn't let you know a discouraging draft discourage you from your entire outlook for the season. You could be fine. You, you will be fine. Let's 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 spin it positive, right? Yeah, hopefully. So I played in three of these, and I haven't missed the playoffs yet. So I'm looking to keep the streak alive. Maybe I'm not one of the heavy favorites to win this. Uh, you know, everyone dreams of winning the 1,200 man league, <laughs> but uh, let's face it, the odds are pretty long so i'm just looking to make the playoffs keep that streak alive and uh you know i'll be happy with that but i like your team greg i think you are uh definitely going to contend for your division title and you did a great job ringing value out of that draft i hope you're right and and thank you uh i appreciate the kind words and i I appreciate you being a good sport i I didn't realize how much you hated your draft when i asked you to do this so (laughs) sticking through it and taking you know (laughs) You know, p- putting that much own pessimism on your own picks uh, couldn't have been easy. And so uh, respect to you for that, Pat. Um, we, we've gone really long on this episode. I really want to thank you for taking the time to join me on the show. Uh, why don't you let folks know uh, what you're working on, where they can find that work, and uh, where they can find you on social media, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, I've got a weekly podcast, the Fits on Fantasy podcast, found on uh, Apple Podcasts or pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. And um, I am in the process of banging out buying guides, which uh, are kind of a different title for team previews over at the footballgirl.com, which is also where you can find my uh, preseason rankings and you can follow me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Listeners check out the show notes for links to all of the work patches mentioned, as well as a link to his podcast fits on fantasy. You can follow me on Twitter at Greg sauce. If you like what I'm doing on these episodes of the Most Accurate Podcast, head over to iTunes. Please leave me a rating and review. That would go a long way towards helping us grow the audience. I'd appreciate it. Be sure to head over to 444.com and get your subscription locked in before August 2nd. That'll give you a chance to win entry into the FFPC main event, where you'll be flown to Las Vegas to draft and stay at Planet Hollywood. That is awesome. And there's other prizes, too, in that contest. So get in before August 2nd. Lastly, please support the show by heading over to draft.com or downloading the Draft app in your app store. Signing up with the code 444, you'll get a free entry into a best ball draft. 
and you can start drafting towards winning their $3.5 million best ball championship over on draft. Otherwise, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this show. You are much appreciated. By the time you're hearing this, there will be no episode for me the following week, but I should be back the week after that. I hope you can manage. Until then, thanks for listening to the most accurate podcast from 444.com.